FM. This is Connected, episode 76. This week's show is brought to you by Braintree and Squarespace. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week by my friend, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. Hello, friend. How are, how are you, friend? Uh, I'm doing well. Our, our British uh, friend, is uh, he's not here. So today. the time has finally come. He's... he's- <laughs> He might actually be dead. He was quite he's <laughs> under the weather, and uh, yeah. as someone who speaks for a living, that's no good. So he is uh, he is with some um, hot water and, and ginger. I think is what you told him to drink. So hopefully yeah, he's, he's doing that, that. That's my recipe for uh, you know fighting this kind of uh, nasty disease. Uh, Mike, I know he's listening live to the show. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on me. It's almost you know when. I told you when our when your boss is watching you do your work, uh, this is really what it feels like. I hope we won't disappoint you, Mike. Um, Stephen, I know that we have some follow up. We do have some follow up. So up first, uh, we are revisiting the Canary, which is the if you remember, sort of the all-in-one Internet of Things type security system that you can put in your home, where it has a camera and like an alarm, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, Dan Morin has one. He wrote this thing up over on Six Colors, uh, basically tying it to his Wemo switch. So, uh, for instance, if the, you know, you can turn a light off and it triggers something on the canary, and you can kind of build these workflows uh, to start tying all these things together, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, um, again, I wish I could buy these. Uh, I I haven't. Uh, I, I didn't know the, the Wink protocol before. Is this like a device or an API or both? Uh, I think I think I, I want to say both, but I'm not I'm not totally positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, the only automation that I do uh, is very lightweight automation with IFTTT and my um, the Philips lights and there's some uh, Elgato stuff that I do with the with the sensors that I have, but mostly. I find myself just using the the native iOS widgets to quickly control my my lights and other uh, home you know home connected devices. It's just faster when I'm on my local Wi-Fi network. I just need to swipe down and uh, control my lights. And I tried a bunch of third-party uh, Philips Hue uh, clients, uh, you know, the, like the from third-party developers. But really, I come down to just using the official app because. It's faster. It doesn't do any weird things with uh, my local IP address. You know, uh, the third-party view apps for some reason always stop working for me at a certain point, and I'm you know I'm using the the simplest solution of them all, which is the native widget. Uh, but still, this looks pretty cool. I gotta I gotta investigate this Wink protocol, which is nice. They do have a product called Wink Relay, which when I think about it, it's like you and Mike winking. Uh, you know. Wink relay, uh, anyway, yeah. It the thing for me with all this stuff is that it, the, all the home automation stuff is very wild west feeling right now, where you can get all these services and apps and kind of tie them together yourself. And I think the promise of HomeKit is oh, all this stuff can be like we're going to build one common layer for all this stuff. And I think Google's trying to do that as well. Uh, it, it just still seems to me that it's like I. I have this hesitancy about it. Like I can invest in all this stuff, and then in two years, none of it talk to each other. It, it still feels very early days, and that's fine. Like I understand if I buy the Hue smart lights, or like I've had a 
canary in my mind since we recorded that this I think is going to change significantly over the course of the next couple of years and, yeah. and there may be some early adopter tax to pay here. Yeah, it reminds me of the XKCD comic on standards. Uh, have you ever seen that one? I have. It's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> there are 14 competing standards. We need another one and now there's like 15 competing standards. So really, this is the situation right now with uh, home devices. There's the Google one, the Apple one, a bunch of third-party ones. And really, it's great to have standards. But at which point, you know, a lot of standards, standards is too many. And we'll see how it plays out in the end, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, early days. And it, it's that's not unusual, right? I mean, you you saw that uh and everything from you know, like personal computing operating systems all the way through now. It's just this is part of the the life cycle of technology. And it's just uh, a fun reminder sometimes that uh something you invest in today or or set up today to work, it, you know, may not be bulletproof forever. Yeah, I mean, and in the end we're all going to die, so you know. Well, wow, well, I mean you also you also got to consider that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the trump card in any conversation. It's like, well, the iPad sales are down. Well, we're all going to die anyways. Uh, you want to talk about it? Uh, briefly. Uh, they did a really good job. I will point out uh, yesterday's episode of Upgrade. Uh, they cover this in depth. So I don't want to retread all of it, but uh, uh, short version is the iPad year over year is, is what, 25% down. It's... It's not. It's not great, right? I mean, it's that's not good news. I, I think that there's the thought of well, the iPad Pro was late, or the iPad Air wasn't revved, and I think, I think while those things are true, I don't think it accounts for such a huge drop. Uh, you know, my thought is at least that the iPad is still f- finding its s- sort of the size that it's supposed to be. You know, it mm-hmm. was it was huge mm-hmm. at the beginning, and now it's settling. And it's taking a long time to find where that number is. It's not to say the iPad isn't still a big business, of course, yeah. but it's. Uh, I suspect that it will drop some more, and it eventually it will level off into some sort of stasis where, like, this is the side, so the size of Apple's tablet business. And yeah. until they find that number, you're going to continue to get quarterly results like this, where it's a big decrease year over year. And, and I, I do think it will level out somewhere, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. it's the size of the Mac, maybe it's bigger, maybe it's smaller, but it's definitely not the next iPhone. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see the iPad kind of, you know, leveling off uh, somewhere in between the iPhone and the Mac, probably closer to a Mac. Uh, it's important not to lose perspective, I think. When Apple sells 20 million Macs a year and they still sell 54, 55 million iPads a year, uh, it's still a, quite a big difference. And uh, I mean, the decrease is obvious and it's been going on for, you know, for a few years now. And but to me, it, it always come, comes down to the, a very fundamental question. Uh, for me, it is, do you believe that in the future, uh, when you're not on your smartphone uh, for you know, doing tasks that you cannot do on a small screen, do you believe that the big, the big screen is going to be a laptop or a big multi-touch tablet? And that's the very basic question. And we can argue that the iPad has been decreasing, uh, still bigger than the Mac, and they're still selling a lot of iPads. Uh, but there's been a decrease, and it's been slowing down. And that, that's, you know, objective to observe. Uh, but 
if you gotta think about the future, do you see the laptop with the physical keyboard, you know, and the, the traditional desktop metaphors, or do you see the tablet? And personally, I see the tablet. So when I'm not on the smartphone, I want to be using, you know, a multi-touch uh, display big enough, to, you know, to type on, to view movies, and you know, to uh, collect my photos and, and organize, you know, all my media and documents. Um, and there's people who prefer desktops, and I agree with you, with you. It's it'll level off at some point. And my personal theory is that it'll still be bigger than the Mac, but we'll see. Uh, it's I just uh, it's funny whenever there's this kind of uh, financial result. Uh, a lot of people seem kind of uh, to be rooting for the iPad to die, as if they they need to prove a point. I don't think. Uh, nobody has to prove a point here because it, this is great that, that Apple's still selling 20 million Macs, more than 15 million iPads and, and iPhones. God even knows what, what's the <laughs> real number. Um, I think it's great. Uh, but some people seem to kind of have some sort of a... What's the German word for, you know, pleasure from others' pain? Schadenfreude? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, I mean, I'm asking you of all people. I, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I I remain, uh, you know, with a with a shade of optimism in me. I I think that's totally fair, and I I, I agree with you. I do think that the iPad it, it its groove will be larger than than the Max. That wherever it settles down, it will be more than what Apple's selling uh, with the Mac line, but. How much bigger, you know, is really hard to say, but I do think that fundamental question of like, what do you, what do you use when you're not on your smartphone is a really interesting one because for a lot of people, and I mean, I'll even speak for me that the smartphone can be my only computer some days. And in my previous life, it was my computer most work days, you know, where I was out doing client stuff all day, running around and I could do email and I could do team management and task management and all this stuff from my phone where it really was the the main device. And, you know, if I think about the range of computing devices in my life, the one that I would have the hardest time giving up is the iPhone. You know, I could I could do without the iPad. I could I could get my work done without a Mac. But take the iPhone away, it that is like a bigger hurdle for me because it, it is like the the primary device that I go to so often. And I think that's like I mean that says a lot about what the smartphone has become, right? That it is for so many people an indispensable part of their workflow yeah. and their just their life. And yeah. to to see that um to to see that being really like the the question of like what what is you know, if you put your software down, what do you go to? I think is a really interesting way of looking at it. And for me, right now, it's the Mac, but it is increasingly the iPad. And and even, you know, over the the last several months for Mike, it's been the iPad more than the Mac. So I think, I think people will end up where they end up. And you know, maybe the Mac and the iPad will be more siblings than than anything else. And I think that's fine. It's still a a, a business that I think is obviously worth Apple continue to invest in and continue to to do and you know that that mindset of well you know uh the ipad's not a real computer and so i want it to not do well like that's just silly to me right like yeah who cares then don't buy one then like, yeah, yeah don't know, listen to canvas like whatever it's fine yeah. um 
but there are people who do depend on it and who who do their work on it and who care about it and it's still a a viable product at the end of the day wherever it finds its sales numbers you know then then that's that yeah the way i see it uh it always comes down to anthropology in a way. Uh, humans are animals that like sitting down. And this is why I don't completely buy the argument that someone can use a smartphone as their only computer. Because at one point you're going you're gonna, to you know, have the desire of sitting down and, and crave a, better, a bigger screen. Um, I, I can use my iPhone as my only computing device. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know when I'm sitting down at my desk or on the couch, I don't wish for a bigger screen to watch a movie or to read a book or an article, you know. Uh, I believe the smartphone will, will uh, in the future, will be something essential, like having an internet connection at home or, you know, having electricity. You will have a smartphone, which is a small computer that's always with you. But humans, as a, you know, as a species, uh, they, they like sitting down, resting, and when you're in that sort of scenario, you want a, a bigger screen. Uh, so we'll see where it ends up. Uh, it can be a Mac, it can be an iPad, it can be a mix of the two. It can be VR, for that matter. I don't know. Uh, I, I doubt that, but, you know, we'll see how <laughs> it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Im- imagine, imagine having a Finder in VR, Stephen. Uh, I don't want to think about it, that. Imagine all the bu- imagine all the bugs and crashes in VR. That's gonna be yeah. awesome. Wow. Um, I did definitely notice in in last week's canvas that you uh made reference to the Finder in past tense. Oh yeah. <laughs> like on the Mac, there was the Finder. It's like no, it's still here. It's all right. He's smiling at me right now. Yeah. For yeah, for me, it's it's sort of a past version of me. So yeah, uh, that's totally fair. Uh, speaking of things that are past tense, has Google oh, updated Docs for iOS 9? I don't even know what... Why are we still subjecting ourselves to this? Uh, to make a point, I think. It's For me, Google Docs is like watching the news on TV. Every day there's like bad news. And this is really similar. Uh, you know, you turn on the TV and bad stuff is going on. You look at Google Docs and nothing's going on. And it's bad. So no update, Stephen. This is sort of becoming like the section when we used to tell people where to find the show notes. We needed to come up with a new excuse or, you know, a clever way of saying that every single time. Uh, There's no Google Docs update with iOS 9 multitasking. I'm sorry, friends. It's It's a bad day. All right, we're going to get into some topics. But first, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is... Braintree. Braintree is code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. It's the payment solution used by companies that you might have heard of, like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experience in these apps both seamless and magical. You can now add a similar experience to your own app. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared as your company grows from its first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is helping solve the problem of mobile card abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. And they make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps, like I said, seamless and magical. Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution. Support for all your payment payment types your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more 
all with a single integration. You don't have to go out and do different things for all those payment methods. All one single integration that is with you across all your platforms. And with superior fraud protection and fantastic customer service and fast payouts, you really should check out Braintree. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you to Braintree for supporting this show and all of FM. So, Stephen, what did you buy this time? I know it's an old Mac. It is an, it is an old Mac. This is something special. The, uh, the 20th anniversary Mac. So, uh, in... 1996, Apple, the company, was 20 years old. They announced, hey, we're going to build a Mac to celebrate this. It took them a year. So in 1997, uh, the 20th anniversary Mac, or the TAM, uh, was released. And it was $7,500. And it had a crazy startup tone. It came with a giant subwoofer and had an LCD and a desktop, which sounds familiar if you're sitting in front of an iMac. And it's really... So one of the holy grails of Apple computing, if I could use that phrase, where there's not many of them out there. They're, they really only sold, depending on what you see, 6,000, 10,000 of them. Uh, mm-hmm. That number is actually hard to nail down. Anyway, so I've been looking at one for a long time, and I turned 30 last week, and Mike and some other people basically were like, you should do this, and... Uh, badgered me into it and so I did it and it showed up and I made a video about it and it's uh amazingly weird so how did you get one if if you may know uh the the beauty of eBay oh okay so traditional so I, way <laughs> yeah yeah uh well when uh you know when a mom and dad and a mac love each other very much <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, they pop up on eBay from time to time, and I've been been looking for a while. This particular one uh, was a good bit less than what they normally go for, which was nice. And, and uh, the reason I found out it, it's not it's not quite pristine. If you look at the video, it, it's not a perfect example. There are a couple issues here and there, but overall, it's in, it's in good shape. And um, it's I mean, it's just a it's a crazy machine, man. It's and it, and it's it's a working machine because you it, you reinstalled the the OS. I did. So it it ships with system 7.6.1 wow. which is ancient. So did you have an archive of this system OSs on it, your drives? Uh I didn't have this but it came uh this came with the Oh okay. The all the original CDs. So the software CD it came with um uh, so if you look at pictures of this thing, there's this big like external unit, and that's like I said, a sub, and then the power supplies in there. And to, to show that off, uh, it was a Bose system. Bose shipped a two CD set of different types of music. There's like classical, there's rock, there's like this crazy techno song that I can't get out of my head <laughs> uh, for, to like show off this thing. And and the CD player and everything could be used separately from the computer. Uh, so it was like big sound system stuff. So anyways, all that stuff came with it. And so I just I basically just put the the system disk in the the CD drive and formatted the drive and started uh, started clean with it. Mm-hmm. How does the the Bose uh, speaker sound? Uh, it's really great. Like it it holds up. It's, oh yeah, um, oh, nice. It does. I I listened to the the CDs that came with it, and then we had a couple CDs around the house. I popped in it, and 
uh, it really does sound good. Like it's, it's, it may be 19 years old, but it, uh, it sounds great. Um, uh, and so uh, how, how's using uh, system seven it's today, bad, man, <laughs> what, what can you do? You, I, or, I don't know control. anything about this. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's old, and and so this thing will run up through Mac OS nine, which is much more modern and in some key areas. The, I mean, there's no doubt that it's old. I mean, so I, I have a couple of things on there. I don't have a ton of classic Mac OS software, but I I really don't see myself like booting this machine up all that often. Anyways, I think I have some other Macs that are far less rare to do that on, but um, I mean, System Seven's pretty old. This thing comes. Uh, this particular unit has an Ethernet card in it, and uh, that's like a separate set of extensions to like <laughs> TCP/IP to work. Like it, it really wow. is old school, and it feels much older than it than even OS OS eight and OS nine do. So, mm-hmm. but it's it's um, you know, it's it's really eye opening to see how far we've <laughs> I come. Guess. Uh, do, software, do you software-wise. know? Do you know if anyone from the this team that made System Seven is still working at Apple today? I would think so. I would think surely there's someone kicking around still. I mean that that really was only 20 years ago. Um, uh, but it's it's definitely there's nothing. I mean OS 10 and iOS have nothing to do with this yeah. system. Like it's totally different in every way. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um, so what's the story of of this particular Mac? I think I think the big thing about that makes this computer special is that it was unique for the time and it really uh I really think that it was, you know, if you think about 1997, Apple is, you know, before next the next acquisition, it's before Jobs comes back. Really this was developed in 1996. Apple was on the ropes, right? They had a bunch of Macs that no one cared about. They made way too many of them and there was no distinguishing one from another. Their system software was in trouble. It was aging quickly. Uh, they were bleeding users to Windows. And I think Apple, whether consciously or not, swung for the fences with this computer in a way that was really unusual for the time. There is a... I'll put it in the show notes. There's a Johnny Ive video for this computer. And it's kind of funny because Johnny Ive is like young and has sideburns and it's all very strange. <laughs> yes, it's very young. But the what he says in that video and the things they talk about in it like resonate today. So things like Apple cares about design and cares about the details that no one sees. Um, you know, there's a joke that Steve Jobs used to tell that the back of his computer looked better than the front of anyone else's. That phrase ends up more or less in this video where they talk about the way that the it's put together on the back and like the way that everything is paid attention to. I mean, for example, there where you plug in your keyboard and stuff on this computer, there's a photo of it in my YouTube video. Uh, there's cable routing. So there's little clips you can put the cables in and then a cover that goes over them so you don't have to see like if someone if you have this out on a desk in an open office and someone walks past it, they don't see your cables. They're all tucked behind this little plate. All those little details, um, using an LCD in a desktop, which was unheard of in 1996, um, making it more than a computer but an entertainment system. So with the Bose system, you could also tune it to FM radio, and you could watch TV on it. You could bring coax right into the computer. Like all these things, like 
entertainment, design, um, great sound, a, a striking design. I mean, even at 20 years old, this computer in its own way is beautiful and unique. That's all stuff Apple cares about today. And so what was so surprising to me was to see the seeds of that before Steve Jobs comes back. I think it's easy. I think I've done it. It's easy to to write off 90s Apple like it was just a dumpster fire and Steve Jobs and, and company came in and saved it. Well, some of that renaissance was already going on. And I really think that it has everything to do with Johnny Ive. Um, you get the sense that this was the first project that he was really allowed to kind of go crazy on. And uh, there's some problems with that. It's not a perfect system, but it is one that very much feels like the Apple we know today. And that is just really interesting to me. Yeah, it's for some reason the the it reminds me of uh, the the Bose speaker. It's kind of similar to to the Mac Pro. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know. it's it's someone made that joke on Twitter. It's, it is a sort of circular shape, but it's um, it's a very fancy computer, if you ask me. Like for a vintage computer, it's not like an ugly piece of plastic, you know, like a beige box. Uh, it's 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 it looks beautiful to me, uh, and even uh, I'm looking now at pictures of uh, the back. There's like a fan in the uh, top right corner. There's a six color uh, Apple logo in, in the center. I mean, it looks really nice. And and it, uh, you you posted the picture of um, this Mac compared to an iMac, and you can clearly see the evolution, or at least like the line of thinking, uh, you know, evolving throughout uh, two decades. Uh, it's probably one of your one of your best purchases, Stephen. At least from a from a, from a you know from my audience point of view, it's really a, an interesting product to, to to watch in the video, which you you published on YouTube today for your new YouTuber career. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about career. I really like the video. Uh, what, what was the process uh, in shooting the video this time? Yeah. So the um, I've been pretty open that this YouTube thing is very experimental for me. It's it's something that I I don't have the um, I'm not a video guy by default. Like I'm learning this uh, really as I go, and and so each one I'm I am purposefully introducing a new element. So this time it was the motion. So. A lot of those sliding shots done with my camera mounted on a on a slider, uh, and so I'm like I said, I'm learning as I go. So I had the, you know I had the script written. I kind of knew what shots I needed, and then spent basically a day yesterday uh, up at the office shooting it. And it's done on sort of that infinite white backdrop, which I have done with like a giant roll of white butcher paper and some fancy table placement. It's really shockingly low tech, but I what excites me about doing this is that it's a way to um to extend like what I'm doing. Like I got I wrote about the twenty anniversary of Mac years ago and like all the tech specs and all the things why it's technically interesting. And that's fine. Like there's a place for those articles and I will continue to do those articles. But the what video lets me do is sort of tell the story of something in a different way. So like this video, I very purposefully did not talk about the specs. Like it came with a 603 processor and it really should have probably been a 604 because it was underpowered and some of them ran hot. And like it, that doesn't matter for this sort of stuff. What matters is that this is a, like you said, it's a unique looking computer. Like this, this paint color, the startup chime, all of it is one off. Like stuff done on this computer was never done again. 
and video lets me tell that story that is harder to get across in an article. Um, and so this whole project or whatever this becomes is really an idea of being able to extend what I'm already doing on 512, but sort of in like a, a new way. And the yeah. hope is that this is wildly successful and becomes part of what 512 is. But, um, but for now it is just me sort of experimenting and learning and, uh, seeing what works and what doesn't. Well, down the road, 512 museum. That's what I'm telling you. You gotta have a yeah. museum with all there your you old Macs. I just found a picture of, uh, of uh, Seinfeld with the 20th anniversary Mac. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's one. Uh, it's, it's the other kind of famous product placement is it shows up in Batman and Robin, I think. Uh, and Alfred like burns a CD on it, which this computer can't do, but it's kind of funny. Um, they definitely showed up and you know, you, you know, it's a tan because it's the only computer that looks like this, which I think is, um, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. So what's uh can you give us a hint of uh what's your next uh, must have old Mac purchase in your mm. in your in your dream list? I think the uh I think the Macintosh TV is uh a pretty Macintosh. high on the list still. What's a Macintosh TV? So it is um I think what year it was. I'm looking. Uh 1993. And uh I'll put a link in the chat room. Macintosh Oh my god, it's black. It is Macintosh uh, TV. And it is, in some ways, related to the TAM. So the Macintosh TV, you could watch TV on it as well. But uh, you could either watch TV or work on it as a Mac. You could do both. Oh, wow. Both. Um, look it was basically this. like a 14-inch CRT Performa. Uh, what's kind of sad, if you look at this date, it was for sale from October 1993 to February 1994. Oh, it was for no. sale for like five months, uh, which was sad. And it ran system 7.1 to 7.6. And so the TAM runs 7.6. So it's like, that kind of shows you how slow the OS had become. Like, we were in system 7 for a long time. Um, these are probably as rare as the TAM. They don't go for as much. I think think that a lot of people just think, oh, it's black. That's interesting. But uh, I would say that's that's on the short list still. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for <laughs> the Macintosh TV. This is crazy. Only ten thousand were made. Yeah. It um on remember uh Apple's thirtieth Mac birthday thing they did a couple years ago? Yeah. Uh they they did that slideshow of like a computer per year. I believe that the Macintosh TV was nineteen ninety three's pick for that. Um which is sad because it, it wasn't for sale for very long. But uh, <laughs> maybe one of these will show up one day. So I don't I don't I have plenty of more stuff to make videos about though without buying anything else, which mm -hmm. is good because I've depleted my collection money for a while. So yeah, we both know that's not gonna happen. Um, so yeah, <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens. I I do love the 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 Tam video, Stephen. Well done. Thanks, man. Oh, we didn't mention we got to mention this real quick. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the welcome tour video. Oh yes! Oh my God! <laughs> why? Is... Why do they? What's the reason for that weird-looking video? So it it came on a CD. It came preloaded on the computer out of the box, and it, the video makes it a little more disjointed because it was actually a, a Mac app, and you could click through and watch these different video clips. I just put them all together into one long video, but it's it is a part tour of the computer. So like this is. How the trackpad works, because the same thing came with the trackpad instead of a mouse. 
with like leather inserts around it. It's all very strange. And then really my favorite part is towards the end where it's just this multimedia extravaganza. <laughs> so yes. like yes. there's a, a tear falls from an eye that makes ripples in, in a water that becomes <laughs> the strings on a cello. And then what I put in the 20th anniversary Mac video is this um, drawing of an old Western like poster <laughs> that then gets hit by lightning and becomes a guitar player who's alive with a train in the background. Yes. It's all very... Um, LSD inspired. Yeah. And, and <laughs> what I can't um, reconcile is that I think this was weird even for 1997. Yes. It's like... My impression, having shared this like with some people who were around and even covering Apple at the time, they were like, yeah, that was strange. But I don't um, remember. I mean, I was alive in 1997. I was, uh, what, eight? I wasn't that weird. I don't remember people being into these sort of weird things. So the, the video was definitely weird at the time, and it is even worse now. So you, maybe it was a way to showcase this. CGI capabilities at the time? No, no idea. Like, I'm coming up short with uh, explanations. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not great. I mean, if you if you if you were to put this video in a time capsule, and you know, save it for the future, and people looking back at this video, that they they could think, man, people were weird in 1996. I mean, yeah, the the cowboy with the guitar and the train and the here and the t- uh, man i just uh, it's awesome you, you should go check it out on youtube <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a must watch in its very own way yeah so that's the uh that's the uh, welcome tour uh video so all these will be all these links will be in the show notes at relay.fm slash connected slash 76 or in your app of choice so um Frederick, let's talk about airmail for a little bit okay so what's uh, um what's airmail up to? So it's uh airmail is uh, came out orig- originally in uh, three years ago in 2013, uh, shortly after Google acquired uh, Sparrow. You remember that uh, email client that everyone oh, yeah. fell in love with? Out. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, arguably uh, it was uh, according to many people one of the best email clients that w- that were made. You know uh, after the Tweety era of uh, modern Mac app design and Google bought Sparrow and these Italian guys from Bloop, it's the name of the company, um, came out with this uh, airmail client for the desktop. So it was an email client with support for IMAP and Gmail and eventually iCloud. Um, and it was very powerful and it, it evolved, especially after version 2, I believe in 2014, uh, to have a, a variety of power user features. So you could have uh, like Markdown, you could write in Markdown and have a preview of rich text uh, while writing a message. You could have uh, filters for search or, uh, you know, you could have a lot of customization options. And now they made AirMail for iPhone. So I've been... And again, you know, as the joke goes, I've been testing this uh, iPhone version since about November, I think, uh, or early December. It launched yesterday on the App Store. I have a review on Mac Stories. And I, uh, every time a new email client comes out, uh, it gets people talking. And I believe the reason is the default mail app 
especially if you use Gmail. And, you know, just yesterday Google said there's a billion people uh, using Gmail every month. Uh, the, the mail app experience with Gmail on iOS is not great. So it doesn't have any specific Gmail features. And this probably comes down to, you know, the, the, the war between Apple and Google. Uh, you don't have push notifications. Uh, the interface of uh, the Apple Mail app is very much a classic, you know, traditional one. It works well for IMAP and iCloud, but for Gmail and, you know, the, the crazy things that Gmail does on top of email, you cannot have those in, in, uh, in, in, in the Mail app. And most notably, again, fast search and push notifications. Um, so Airmail tries to offer like a modern email experience based on the features and design that others have tried in the past few years on iOS. Uh, and I mean, it's kind of obvious that it borrows heavily from Mailbox, which, you know, again, putting one out, it's going, it's going away at the end of the month. Um, so you have modern features such as snoozing or, you know, you can, you can browse contacts. Uh, you, there's better support with, uh, for attachments. So you can integrate with third-party file management services like Box and Dropbox if you want to import an attachment from those services or like save an attachment directly from email to one of those locations. So it builds on top of what others have been doing for the past few years. But it doesn't try to do a lot of that, uh, like, smart uh, automatic categorization of messages uh, the, similar to what you can find in Spark by Riddle or notably Inbox, which is the alternative Gmail app from Google. It's mostly like a, like a, like a collection of features from the past few years in iOS email clients. So there's a little bit of Outlook, there's a little bit of mailbox uh, there's the app integrations are very uh, similar to what this patch has been doing on the iPhone and iPad um, so as I argue in my review airmail is a really power user oriented client there's a lot of customization you can change a lot of settings probably even too many for most people uh, it gives you complete control over appearance workflow you can change everything uh, there's the one of the key features is iCloud sync so if you use airmail on the Mac you can activate iCloud sync uh, for two reasons uh, one it lets you import an account Mm, so you don't have to type in your email address if you want to add it on a, another device. And the second one, possibly even the, more, the most useful one, you can sync uh, settings across platforms. So if you say, uh, when I mean snooze until morning, but my morning is you know noon because I wake up late, I want this setting to be available across the Mac and the iPhone. And with iCloud Sync and Airmail, you can do that. Um, I, wish, I wish more apps would do that. I mean, yeah, yeah. so often I'll set something up just the way I want it, and then I'll pick up my iPad and it's doing something totally different. And yeah. I don't know how hard that is. I mean, I get the sense that having, I was in the, the beta and been playing it with this some more. The setting stuff in Airmail is really deep. And I agree with you that I think to a degree there's too much fiddliness in there that I think some people will find that overwhelming. But um, the the fact that it does sync really is nice and i wish that more developers who are cross platform not just ios but especially on the mac as well like spend the time to do that cuz it really is uh, such a nice feature especially when you have you know sometimes I have four toggles like who cares i can go in and set my four settings but this thing has just seemingly endless number of options yeah. and going through with like with your phone in one hand sitting at your mac like changing all the tech check boxes so they're the same 
be get super old quickly and and yep. so I, I i really like that about airmail yeah there are some parts that are rough uh and in my review i call them not finished uh some of them are like related to performance so scrolling isn't always uh, fixed at 60 frames frames per second uh you can get kind of you know, jittery when scrolling, uh, which I don't like, of course. Uh, sometimes animations kind of get stuck, so when you perform uh, swipes to run actions, uh, there's some UI glitches there. Uh, the way that the signature comes up on screen is kind of weird looking. Uh, and there are some features that, uh, while not problematic from a technical point of view, are just not there, uh, such as I mean, notably, there's no iPad version, uh, and some options of the Mac app are not available yet, so you cannot write in Markdown, or you cannot uh, create save searches. There's no filters for search. So it's a very, it's a solid beginning, um, but there's still some issues from a technical point of view and some features that are missing. And the big problem for me, and I believe for Mike, and I think for a lot of people, is that there's no iPad version. The problem here is um, when you try one of these modern email apps with features such as, you know, snooze settings uh, to move a message from one, one folder to another at a certain time, or, you know, when you, when you activate sync and you want to have all these preferences in a certain way, not having the same app on all of your devices becomes a problem. And for me, because I don't use a Mac... Uh, I use the iPhone and iPad, I want to have the same email client with the same settings, with the same conventions, with the same design even, uh, because doing email is something I don't like, and if I have to do, which I do, uh, I want to make sure that I'm fast and that I know how to do that. Um, so if, if you if you have a Mac and an iPhone, you don't work on the iPad, I I recommend trying AirMail because you know on the on the Mac and on the iPhone it works nicely. Uh, for people like like us, uh, I think not having an iPad version at launch is a problem. Uh, now the developers are working on an iPad version. There's going to be uh, supposedly an iPad beta soon. Uh, but as always in these cases, uh, launching with an iPhone app with the promise of an iPad version down the road uh, doesn't do much right now. Uh, I wanna. I, I have need for email on my iPad right now, which means that you know I gotta use Outlook on both the iPhone and the iPad. But I think Caramel is it's going to strike a chord with power users, and I know that it did the same on the Mac. A lot of people use Caramel on the Mac because it's got all of these options and settings that if you're extremely you know nitpicky or geeky about your email, you're gonna appreciate having on iOS. Um, what I wanted to kind of discuss briefly with you, so one of, from my conclusion, uh, I just uh, quickly touched upon the email market on iOS today. It seems kind of crazy to me that, you know, just uh, seven years ago, Apple wasn't even accepting third-party email clients on the App Store. And now the market has flourished, you know, since Sparrow came out, uh, 2010, 2011, maybe, on the iPhone. Uh, there's so much choice right now and big companies are making email apps so there's gmail inbox outlook uh, yahoo <laughs> email if you use it mm -hmm. uh, and there's third-party developers and it's uh, there seems to me that there's much much more innovation on the ios app store for email than on the mac yeah and it's going on, on the mac too there's um obviously there's airmail polymail i think is in beta yeah what I think what it really speaks to is that Apple's first-party client just hasn't kept up. 
especially when you look at some Gmail specific things. And my guess is that's only going to get worse. You know, at some point, Gmail, uh, I mean, they're building a super set of stuff on top of IMAP. And it's not that you can't archive mail. I mean, that the basics work in Apple's first party client, but these other features that people have built on top of Gmail, uh, snoozing and all this other stuff, eventually we're going to get to a point where IMAP can't support that sort of thing. And so either Google will move to their own thing completely, which they have hinted at that, that they may do at some point, or you're going to be in a situation where you're waiting on Apple to, you know, get around to, oh, next year when the new version of iOS comes out, then they may include this stuff. And, you know, historically, Apple's been slow to have, like, great support for other people's stuff. And, um, you know, the iOS supports and OS ten support Exchange, and they support, you know, the basics of, of Gmail. But at some point, I think that that rift is going to become too great. And I think with that out on the horizon, a lot of these third-party developers have jumped in and are building clients who you know, work really well with all that stuff and give people what they expect from a Gmail experience. And I think that Apple has created this, um, this, this hole in the market of like their, their app is great if you use iCloud or if you use Gmail without all the, the bonus stuff. But if you really want some of these nice power user features, uh, then mail is in line with a bunch of other Apple apps that don't get the job done. Right. Like, Mail has become something like reminders or uh, before this year notes, right? Where it's a simple app and it's fine for a lot of people and it's, you know, it gets the job done, but anyone who needs more power is going to go to a third party and things like Evernote happened and things like, um, you know, it's paper and pocket as opposed to reading list and things like um, uh, OmniFocus and Todoist and Todo instead of reminders. And I think what we're seeing is that happening in mail clients. Uh, in a big way. Yeah. Uh, I, but I totally wouldn't be surprised to see iOS 10 with uh, snoozes in the mail app. I mean, uh, it's one of those features that Apple wants or needs to share lock eventually because so many people are using it. And it's a uh, third-party innovation that, you know, Apple uh, isn't afraid of uh, being inspired from as you would say uh it's really copying but you know uh it's one of those third-party conventions that eventually becomes like a standard in ios apps like pull to refresh or what's the other one that they did a reading list pull to refresh uh there was another one uh oh swipe gestures uh, on email from mailbox um uh, that also wasn't an, an apple mail feature uh you know now it's almost second nature for millions of people um you know, I, I believe that eventually we will get snooze settings uh, in Apple Mail, uh, maybe based on reminders and iCloud. I don't know, but um, I want to see Apple have really better integration with Gmail. Uh, I know that's probably, you know, a <laughs> utopia scenario because, you know, Apple and Google, uh, but one can dream. And if dreaming is not enough, we'll still have the App Store, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess my question for you is, we're seeing all this flourish of activity, but the road behind us is littered with the carcass of dead email clients or yeah. dying email clients. And I just, I wonder if, uh, is there room for a successful third party email app? I mean, we have Outlook now, but that's owned by Microsoft. So that doesn't really count. Outlook doesn't have to make money in and of itself, right? 
Um, but I would imagine that AirMail does. And if you look at even something like Mailbox, you know, not, I feel like if Mailbox had been a paid app that was wildly successful, maybe Dropbox would have kept it. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? Like, I understand that the, the future's exciting, but like, I can't think, I can't help but think about all the clients that we've loved that have come and gone as well. I I think the future, if you're an indie developer doing email clients, the future is in power users. Um, power users are a very peculiar breed of human. Um, they they like apps with you know that 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 make them save time and make them more efficient, and they're not uh, pain is not a problem. And I think it's smart to make to kind of market uh, an email client as the email app for power users with a lot of settings with a paid upfront kind of model and we've seen this happen with OmniFocus to do people are not afraid to pay for software that they use and with the problem with email is that unlike a task manager uh, email works at scale so you gotta integrate with the uh, services you know Gmail uh, iCloud and you got to have this sort of scaling server components such as search or push notifications. And it can be tricky to balance, you know, I want to make a free email client and make money off, you know, uh, data in some way or advertising. Or I want to make the, or integrations, you know, I want to make partnerships and make money that way. Uh, or maybe I don't want to make money at all if I'm Google and, and Microsoft because my, my company is big enough to make money in other ways. I just want to provide an email service. Um, or maybe, you know, you want to sell an email client and have all, all of these features. Uh, I think Aramel has a better shot at surviving than other apps that are free and that have no clear way of making money down the road unless an acquisition is in sight or maybe you want to you know you want to discontinue the the client and and you know do something else with it i think caramel as an indie product as a better chance of surviving i mean we've we've seen that with ermel on the mac it's been going on for 3 years the developers charge for for the app on the, on the on os 10 and you know with free services and free apps, there's always the risk of them being discontinued. And that's also the case with paid apps. Uh, but I statistically, I have better faith in a small team selling an email client at a price than you know this sort of venture backed or you know email client that's free and you don't really know how it makes money. But hey, look at that! It's a shiny new toy, and eventually will disappear. Uh, we'll see. All right, we got a, a little bit more to talk about this week, but first we're going to take a break and thank our friends over at Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off. When it comes to giving yourself a place online, there's nowhere better than Squarespace. They put all the power you need into your hands and take away the pain points like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level. There's no coding required. They have intuitive and easy-to-use tools that allow you to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Our Squarespace has all the state-of-the-art technology you would expect. Uh, they power your site and ensure security and stability. And they're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands around the world. Here at Relay, we use Squarespace for our online merchandise store. You can go by 
t-shirts and stickers and everything, and they handle it all for us. Uh, safe and secure, super fast, super easy. And uh, their site templates are starting to look at. They all feature responsive design, so they look great on any size device, from a uh, an iPhone to an iPad up through a Mac. You know that your site will look good. But this is all just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features, like 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are all there ready to help. And Squarespace commerce platform, like I just mentioned, allows anyone to add a store to the Squarespace site. You don't have to be an e-commerce genius to figure this out. The commerce platform, very simple, very easy to use. And if you're looking to build a great, uh, great-looking great single-page website, then the cover page program uh, is for you. And all this is backed by rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. If you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should check out their developer platform. You can dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site directly. If you sign up for a year, you also get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. The trial is no credit card required, so you can start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And if you decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code WORLD for 10% off your first purchase. And that helps show your support for Connected. Uh, we'd like to thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, you should. Federico, what did you buy? I bought a Synology uh, device, <laughs> network attached storage, a uh, little media server that I keep at home and I'm having lots of fun with. Um, do you want to? I assume you want to know the backstory here. I do. I also want to know because I'm a nerd which model you bought. I bought, and I and I know some people were upset by my decision. I bought the DS two fourteen play, and I bought that one instead of the DS two one six because it was cheaper. Uh, I looked up the reviews on Anantech, and there was no significant change for stuff that I was mostly interested in. And it was cheaper on Amazon, and it had Prime shipping. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) And this is a two-bay... This is a two-bay NAS. NAS. Um, I bought initially uh, a a four-terabyte Western Digital Red Drive. Only bought one. Good choice. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) I I did my research. Um, I only bought one. Then I realized I was being stupid. I needed to have a RAID configuration. And so I bought the second one and enabled the, the, what they call the SHR, uh, which is the RAID uh, automatic type of you know setting from Synology itself. Uh, and I set it up, and now my first drive is mirrored to the second one. And so if a drive fails, I should have the second one ready to go. Um, so the reason I bought this... Uh, I explained this in the in the email to Club Mac Stories members uh, on Sunday. Um, my girlfriend and I have been growing increasingly insecure about backups. Um, my girlfriend, uh, she has an old MacBook. Uh, we placed, uh, we put an, an S, uh, SSD in it a couple of years ago, actually, maybe even more, three to four years ago. And the MacBook is still doing okay, but eventually it's going to die. And she wants to have a time machine backup. We didn't have a time machine volume. Uh, we are firmly against cables, so we wanted to have a wireless time machine volume. 
Um, we don't have a Apple Airport Extreme or Time Capsule because we prefer Netgear, uh, you know, hardware in our house for wireless uh, needs. Uh, so we wanted to have a wireless volume for Time Machine. That was the first issue. My second uh, backup uh, anxiety um, is that, you know, with all this work that I do for Mac Stories, Club Mac Stories, and Relay, I deal with a lot of documents and data that, okay, I do backup with iCloud, uh, but I always, and I do keep in Dropbox or Box, but I felt like having a redundant option, you know, that I control uh, would be, it would make me feel safer. And then there's the media problem, which is we watch a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies every night. <clears throat> Sorry. And we want to, we want to have a, the kind of workflow that doesn't force us to use a Mac to download them. Uh, we don't because we, every weekend or you know every two weeks lately we go back to Viterbo, our hometown. Uh, we don't want to. Uh, put a Mac in our suitcase. We just want to bring our my iPad Pro. Um, we don't want to bring the Mac just to watch TV shows and to download them because, you know, downloads on iOS are terrible. So my idea was uh, we, we can either buy a Mac Mini uh, or we can buy a NAS right now. Uh, eventually, I believe the Mac Mini is the better option for me, but, you know, this year we'll see how the new MacBooks are. Uh, but right now, we wanted to have something that we could, you know, set up and forget about it for the rest of the year or really for the future. Uh, so we went with this analogy because I've been reading for the past few years, you know, uh, my friend Gabe at Mac Drifter, he owns a Synology. My friend Don uh, also, you know, used to write for Mac Stories. He has a Synology. And, you know, everyone I know that has a Synology were super satisfied with the product. So I thought, you know, I want to have backups. I want to organize my all my TV shows and movies and some music that I no longer listen to because it's not, not available on streaming services. I want to organize them. I want to have them in a single location. And at this point, I also have a fiber connection, which is fast and it allows me to upload and download at crazy speeds, at least for me, for my standards. I should really buy a Synology. And it really was a, a few coincidences and maybe late realizations that led us to buy one and set it up. And it's now in our kitchen in a fancy piece of furniture. At least we think it's fancy from Ikea. So, you know, the, the fancy scale is objectable. Um, but it's working quite well for us. So uh, we are mostly using the default uh, Synology apps. So the DS... Mm, apps that they have, like DS Video and DS Audio. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I could use Plex, but for some reason, um, the, 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 the port that Plex uses uh, is not working <laughs> for my connection, whereas the DS Video one is working just fine, both on Wi-Fi and 4G. Uh, Synology gives you this uh, quick connect um, sort of online component that allows you to access your, uh, your NAS from outside of the local network. Uh, and that's been working super well for me so far and uh, so yeah I set up a DS video with uh, folders where I can watch TV shows and movies I downloaded uh, some albums like rare EPs and live performances from Oasis and Death Cab for Cutie that are not available on, the, on, on Apple Music and Spotify 
And I don't want to use YouTube because, you know, I'm not an animal. So I keep them in, <laughs> in this analogy and I listen with the Diaz audio app, which is a fine app. It lets you stream music. It lets you download songs locally. Uh, it's, you know, it works for me. And we're watching TV uh, shows, we're watching movies, listen to music. And uh, the last aspect, at least for now, um, I configured the cloud sync uh, feature that basically lets you mirror uh, online services like Box or Google Drive or uh, Dropbox uh, back into the Synology. So you have a backup of those online services running on your local device. And so that gives me, you know, the peace of mind of knowing that, yes, I do save all of my critical work files in Box and Dropbox, but if something ever goes wrong with those accounts, I also have a copy on, uh, on my Synology. So that's what we're doing so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, what I really like about these things is that you can expand what you do with it as time goes on so yeah. if you do decide to duplex or do decide something else then it's a very modular system because it, unlike a hard drive sitting on you know just sitting directly you know over usb or thunderbolt or something this is a computer so you can like the cloud sync for instance you know it's running that whether or not your mac or ipad is in the house if you're you know someplace else and are doing something in dropbox or box then the synology is keeping up with it on its own because it is a self-contained unit and that gives you a lot of flexibility and power in setting things up to to just to run and just to take care of things when you're not actively uh interacting with the with the box which i think is really great and um I had a uh, a four bay one for for over a year and um, had a hardware issue with it and then ended up um, not keeping it. But I've got a Mac Mini at home on the network and it it takes over has taken over a lot of those things that the that the NAS did. But uh, really, the idea is the same: is having something always on on the network that can take care of things, that can host backups, can you know host files, share media. It really is a a very useful thing if you if you need that sort of uh, functionality. Yeah, and I appreciate how the company has a suite of uh, mobile apps. Uh, they are updated for the latest uh, iOS versions. Uh, there's like a, some crazy stuff that I'm not gonna use. There's a note taking app called the DS Note. It's like a mix of Evernote and a task manager. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, of course, there's a, there's a traditional uh, file manager uh, that lets you browse folders and you know create shortcuts and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then there's a DS video and audio, which is the media experience. And the the ones with the you know the the crazy people can even install a beta of the Synology. OS uh, version 6 but I thought about it for like a couple of seconds then I read you cannot downgrade to the stable version and I'm like nope not gonna do that on my new fancy toy that I'm using for backups and TV shows so yeah it's a the company is really you know they have updates coming they have mobile apps the hardware is solid and it's uh, extendable so you know I'm having lots of fun awesome I think we'll uh, wrap up this week uh, talking about this rumor of the March 15th uh, Apple event, which is, um, uh, Gurman posted this a couple hours ago uh, as we record, and basically kind of bringing together all the stuff we've, we've been talking about. So the 5SE, iPad Air 3, which I think is the most interesting thing that we haven't really talked about, and then 
sort of a watch refresh, not new watch hardware itself, but new bands, uh, potentially a software update, you know, the sort of the accessory side of the of the watch. I think what's most interesting to me, though, for today is the iPad Air 3. And it the, the reports over the last couple of weeks have really congealed around it being an iPad Pro Mini. So having four speakers, having a smart connector, uh, which means that, you know, the potentially a, a new smart keyboard or third-party keyboards could interface like they do on the iPad Pro. And then even potentially pencil support. What, I mean, the iPad Air 2 is a great device and it's powerful and has really held up. Um, but Federico, do you think that they need to make the, the Air like a little pro? Or do you think that there's room to keep some of those pro features only on the 12-inch model? Well, it makes sense for some features to trickle down from the Pro to the Air line. Uh, I don't know if there's a need for all of them. So, you know, the crazy CPU or the 4 gigs of RAM or the pencil. uh, But definitely the speaker system and the smart connector make sense to me. Uh, The pencil is the big question, right? Uh, Because Apple... uh, Push the iPad Pro with the pencil as a unique proposition from the company, uh, you know, for artists and you know users who needed a better input device. Uh, the the Pro and the pencil seem to go together as a single product. So breaking out the pencil from the Pro line and uh, you know extending comp- compatibility with the with the iPad Air would be interesting to you know to see what happens there. But I I do believe that the speaker system and the the accessory of support with the smart connector makes sense to me um uh, i think apple needs to uh off always offer new reasons to upgrade an ipad to the latest model um if anything because a lot of people are uh, done buy ipads like they buy iphones uh there's still people who have an ipad 2 or you know an ipad 4 remember that guy uh, oh yeah and yeah. a lot of people still have those and they see an iPad Air and it doesn't have, you know, it's faster and it's lighter, but it doesn't have new things, right? I mean, two speakers and a new connector, that's new stuff for people. Uh, the pencil will be even better. Uh, so w- I guess it makes sense to kind of try crazy things first with the Pro and eventually, you know, having the technology come down to the iPad Air and maybe with, you know, slightly inferior CPU or RAM, I don't know. Uh, and of course, you know, the the big difference would be the user experience, just using iOS. It can be the same version of iOS and it can be the same set of accessories and hardware, but just using iOS on the iPad Air and on the iPad Pro is, for me, better on the Pro because it's bigger. Uh, you could have the same features and, you know, exactly the same set of accessories on both devices and yet I would still prefer the Pro because, you know, iOS is bigger and, and it's more comfortable. Um, and it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, uh, we would end with a sort of scenario where every iPad is essentially the same and you just got to pick a size. Uh, Apple did this before with the iPad Mini and the iPad Air, and now I wouldn't be surprised to see the iPad Air and the iPad Pro sharing the same stage in terms of features. And it just uh, it's just a matter of screen size. Uh, so the rumor makes sense to me. The big question mark is the pencil, uh, at least for me. So I guess we'll see in about a month if the rumor's true. And it has to be because it's Gorman. So, <laughs> I, I agree with you on all of that. I think that Apple has to um, do what it can to make each release exciting. And I think that holding things 
just for the iPad Pro because it's big or because it's special in some way is not the strategy they need to be pursuing right now. If the iPad was not in more or less free fall, I think it would be different. But I think they have to try to put the brakes on that in any way possible. Um, and I think the the flip side of that, especially with the pencil, is that if they get this into the Air 3, and I still think the 9.7-inch iPad is sort of the default one for most people, yeah. especially as phones have gotten bigger. I think the mini is sort of more specialized than maybe it once was at the beginning. I think that that would be uh, encouraging to developers to support the pencil in their apps or for developers who make very pencil focused apps, like it's a lot of these drawing and art apps. Uh, I think there's benefit to them as well that, Hey, uh, you know, I'm not building this app that for only people who bought the pro, but air three users can, can use it as well. And, and over time it trickles down and down. And so I, th- I think the pencil makes a lot of sense for the 9.7 inch screen. Um, I also agree with you that I'm not particularly tempted by it. I, uh, Except for you know reading in bed or something, the iPad Pro has has really clicked with me because iOS is uh, it benefits from the breathing room and especially the multitasking stuff in iOS nine. Even using it on an Air two feels cramped uh, after after being on the Pro. So I don't see myself particularly tempted by this model, but I do think that there w- there will be people who are and who look at some of the stuff that the pro can do and especially with the pencil and don't want to sacrifice, you know, the size or the weight or don't want to spend a thousand dollars. And, uh, you know, the air being a good bit cheaper, I think will help bring this technology to more people. So I think it makes a ton of sense from a, a strategy standpoint. And, uh, I, I will be, I will say that I'd be, surprised and um, disappointed if the pencil doesn't show up on the iPad Air this time around. Yeah, you, you can buy the same furniture, you can buy the same couch and the same TV sets, and then you got to choose, do you want to live in a small house or do you want to live in a big house? It's just a matter of preference. It's, you want to be cozy, you know, with all the stuff closer together, or do you want to be comfortable and, you know, have a big real estate? Uh, that's just a matter of your preference. I believe that's the best way to go in the future. And also because people don't want the big tablet or, you know, just want to see the air as the default, also because it's cheaper, um, having pro hardware aspects come down to the most uh, commercially uh viable iPad is also an incentive for developers to make more pro apps if you think about it uh having a, a the standard tablet becoming more pro is a benefit for everyone not just for the pros you know it's almost like uh slowly but surely pro features of MacBook Pros became available to to MacBooks and everyone saw the benefit in that uh so i see the same happening with the iPad um I don't know. It's just maybe strange to think about because it's so close to the origi- to the iPad Pro release when Apple made a big deal of, you know, the pencil is exclusive to the iPad Pro. It's our best iPad ever. And now, like, five months later, later, there's the possibility of the iPad Air gaining the same features. That's maybe what's strange right now. But if you think about it, like, from a higher perspective, it makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I don't think Apple's ever won to really hold themselves to past statements. So if yeah. they say, oh, it's exclusive to the iPad Pro, well, it's not untrue. And it was at the, the time. Too, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, they, if they are doing this, this may explain why the iPad Air 3 um, 
maybe they wanted it to be exclusive to the pro for some reason and and maybe that's why this is in the spring but i also think that i think overall apple is slowing down the ipad release cycle and i think that makes i think that makes sense i think that burning resources to make a new ipad every 12 months when people clearly aren't updating that often is i think that's fine and so to make the each individual you know product or skew you know good enough to last a couple of years and the ipad air 2 has held up really well and you know we all said when they came out this is overkill and now with ios 9 multitasking we see that you know it it, it handles that well and it was obviously built with that sort of thing uh in mind eventually but the the pro is a different beast and is a lot more powerful so and i don't know if the air 3 would have uh the four gigs of ram or the exact same processor configuration but i would expect it to be um plenty powerful for the next you know 18 to 24 months if they continue to to slow down this cycle so uh but thankfully we only have a a couple of weeks or i guess about a month to uh to wait and see what happens yeah yeah it's gonna be interesting you know i want to i I want to try an air yeah i want to try an air three i'm i'm pretty sure i'm not gonna switch uh, because i just love ios on the big screen uh but it's uh, it's an interesting product for me to consider. So we'll see. Yep. Well, I think that does it uh, for this week. You can find our show notes, like I said, in your podcast app of choice or on our website, relay.fm slash connected slash 76. You can find Federico at maxstories.net or on Twitter at V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find uh, Mike, who uh, is homesick today, but you can find him on Twitter as well at imike. I am at ISMH on Twitter and 512pixels.net is where I spend my time writing about computers that are older than some of my readers now. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it's true. It's Yeah, that's there's that. So uh, feel free to get in touch. Uh, you can uh, send us feedback from the website. Um, get in touch on Twitter. Let us know what we messed up and we will address it in follow-up. I think, uh, I think that's it. So until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.